This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Support for this podcast comes from U.S. Bank. When it's time for a new credit card, the best ones do way more than just buy stuff. And that's why U.S. Bank offers credit cards that make every day more rewarding. Earn cash back. Score points when you shop, dine out, travel, or binge watch. Or get a low intro APR. U.S. Bank credit cards were designed to fit your lifestyle. So make every day more rewarding. And check out usbank.com slash credit card. U.S. Bank credit cards are issued by U.S. Bank National Association N.D. Some restrictions may apply. Member FDIC. This is the story of Harry's. For decades, one big razor company has relentlessly increased prices and reaped immense profits at the expense of its customers. Then one day, an ordinary guy got ripped off buying razors. He was so fed up that he and his best friend started a company to fix shaving. They called it Harry's. By taking less profit and selling online, Harry's can offer quality blades for less. You can even get Harry's 5-blade razor and shave gel for free when you sign up. Just cover shipping. Click or go to harrys.com and enter code RAZOR at checkout. That's RAZOR, R-A-Z-O-R. Hello, hockey fans. I'm Paul Bruno here with Andrew Fiorentino, and we are the Great Ones. Today is February 4th, two days after Groundhog Day, and the Gensville Report. Uh, Andrew, I'm pleased about that, but we have to take a backward step first before we go forward and look at that All-Star game. I confess that I did tune it in a little bit, and I was pretty pleased with the story that John Scott wrote. What say you? Yeah, I mean, uh, finally... You uh, you admit it. You you kind of like John Scott and the All Star Game, didn't you? I did because it was a, a unique storyline, and and part of the good news that came out of this thing, the three on three uh, seemed to work for me. It looked like a hockey game. It looked like these players were forced to try or be embarrassed potentially, and and nobody was in that uh, in that limelight more than John Scott. This guy, if they were playing a real NHL pace, probably wouldn't have been able to keep up for the length of time that it was on. But in the three-on-three format, he seemed to know where to go, and he capitalized on a couple of scoring opportunities to boot and uh, was a pretty good field story around what uh, was a pretty feel-good event. Yeah, and if uh, if you've been sort of uh, following the, the coverage of the media, it's funny to watch. You know, it's, uh, a lot of people interview Scott, and he's a guy at this point in his career. It's not like he has anything to lose as far as, like, he's going to alienate anyone in the, the hockey world. Uh, and he, he's been, he uh, stuck it to Mike Milbury... Uh, yesterday, uh, because Milbury was was giving him some criticism, uh, saying that his his job in the All Star Game was uh, was going to be to take short shifts, <laughs> and <laughs> uh, yeah, he didn't like that. Uh, someone, a couple days later, he's asked by uh, Liam McHugh of NBC uh, if they made a movie about him, who should play him? He said Mike Milbury, I guess that'd be perfect. 
<laughs> and then he added that he'd probably have to lose some weight to do it, though. <laughs> nice. Well, he took a couple of broad swipes at uh, Jeremy Roenick as well, so good for him for uh, sticking up Swipe, for himself. Uh, with both his hands and his mouth. Right, and uh, and I thought the play fight that he had with uh, Patrick Kane was also good uh, good theater. So, all in all, you know, two thumbs up from this corner, uh, Andrew, I think that the NHL has stumbled upon a format that makes sense. I don't think I want to see a John Scott type featured every year, but this was uh, interesting in the context of uh, that led up to the event, turning at what potentially was a bad-looking situation to a real good one. So I'm pretty happy with the way it turned out. Yeah, it was, uh, it's good to see you flip-flop on this. I like it. <laughs> well, and I'm going to give you a chance to do a, a flip-flop back at me because uh, I nailed this Weidman thing. 20 games is my call. That's what he got. And uh, you were of the opinion, though, and, and I've heard this from other people, too, that he shouldn't have even been suspended. He is appealing this case, Andrew. On, on second thought now, are you prepared to recant, or do you want to stick to your guns and say that this guy shouldn't have been suspended? I'm going to double down. I think he shouldn't have been suspended. I watched the, the video again and again and again, and, you know, I, I read about, you know, the career of Dennis Weidman. You look at, look at Dennis Weidman's career. He's not the kind of guy who does this sort of thing. And this came out of nowhere to a linesman who he had with – there's no reason for him to have any issue with. Uh, I think that it was a totally freak occurrence that came from him suffering a concussion. But uh, it's good that he'll have some time to sit out with that concussion, get his head right. <laughs> there is a precedent to this, though, and yeah. you're probably too young to remember. I was a kid, but I do remember Tom Lysiak pulling the feet out from under a linesman. Tom Lysiak had a similar profile to Dennis Weidman. He was uh, more of an offensive threat, a forward of some note and a high draft pick, who tripped a referee up, and he did it intentionally, got 20 games for it. He was trying to say that he didn't do it intentionally, too, but that video is, is equally glaring to me as, as this one was. And when you're talking about incidents involving referees and linesmen, the NHL doesn't want a repeat of what happened then. It turned into a PR nightmare and an on-ice fiasco. The referees revolted, and they really didn't want to have that opportunity to face them again. So but then, blessed with the benefit of hindsight, they threw the book at Weidman, and I say good for them. But I also say to owners of Dennis Weidman, you might as well put this guy on the shelf for the rest of the year. Maybe this, uh, take him right out of your lineups because he is not coming back for any significant chunk of game action, I don't think. Well, uh, I will say that he is, you know, as you said, he is appealing. I, I think that it's going to get revised down to something more like 10 games because I think you really do have to acknowledge the possibility, uh, that, and it's a strong possibility when you look at what happened, that, that it, was, it was just a freak accident that he had, did not know what he was doing. Uh, and then he was just uh, out of his mind at that moment. Well, Andrew, it's it's another situation, and I could see that uh, reduction coming too. Don't get me wrong. I, I think that the appeal process should be followed through and, and really a closer examination to detail, and uh, it may well result in a bit of a reduction. But Did you see his face when he was sitting on the bench afterward? Like, he yeah. looked out of it. Yeah, yeah, and I think that should be something that uh, his defense plays upon because I do agree. Uh, I, I think he must have had a what-the-hell-did-I-just-do moment, and uh, I'm sure his le uh, teammates gave him some space there too because wondering just what the heck was going through his <laughs> mind. And if it would be really neat to get the honest truth out of the guy, but uh, and I hope we do. But uh, there are a lot of other storylines, and, and a lot of them are predicated on the upcoming trade deadline, Andrew, one of which the – you uh, came up with it I really like, and that is what's happening in Winnipeg. Dustin Bufflin and Andrew Ladd are both looking like they're going to be featured in trade talks and the Winnipeg Jets. I don't really know if they can afford to let both these guys go, but uh, you had an interesting take on uh, 
or just discovered an interesting take on Dustin Bufflin that I'd like you to expand upon. Yeah, Bufflin uh, getting a little bit of flack up in Winnipeg uh, for for giving a little, a little bit of a mixed message on whether he wanted to stay. Uh, his words were that uh, I don't mind Winnipeg at all, which is a, a powerful endorsement, I would say. Uh, <laughs> was, was it tongue in cheek? I wonder. No, no, he, they're so. saying that that it wasn't, and, and he also said it's somewhere you don't want to leave. He said, uh, uh, you know, I've been here a long time. Uh, you know, uh, my family is here. His my style of town. So he said a lot of things, but you know, when you also say, uh, you know, that it's. Uh, I, I don't mind it here. Yeah, <laughs> the that's, that's are, hardly a ringing endorsement. They're going to take exception to that, and then they certainly have. I do think that Bufflin uh, is going to be on his way out of Winnipeg. I don't see that being a team that wants to commit big dollars to him in the long run. Uh, he's going to be a huge help to a, a playoff-type team. God, would I, I, I think I would, I might kill someone uh, to get him on the Rangers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a lot of teams would line up for his services to to be sure, but another guy right in concert and alongside with him is Andrew Ladd, the captain of this team, and he his profile has really kind of sunk lower and lower as the season has progressed. You haven't really seen much of him on the highlights. You haven't heard much of him in the press. He's taken a real back seat in terms of the uh, apparent leadership of this team as we head toward the trade deadline, and that's something of a surprise to me because he's always been a stand-up guy, front and center, in any news related to the Jets over the last couple of years, but I think he's kind of greased the rails for his departure, too. Uh, maybe he wants out, too, and, and wants that one last chance at a big contract, but uh, I think this is a real blow to the club's leadership. I don't know if one or both goes. I'm going to bet that one of them does for sure. I'm I'm not sure where you stand on that, but I say Lad's probably the guy that's the odds-on favorite to leave town. Well, I think they could both leave town. Uh, you know, Lad, I, I, I want to cut him some slack. Maybe he's just having a down year. He's not too old. He's been so consistent the last, you know, number of seasons. You know, going back to 2010, 2011, uh, you know, 59 points, 50 points, 46 points in the strike-shortened season. There's almost a point per game there. 54 points. Last year, 62 points. Uh, you know, uh, we, we expected more than we've gotten from him, that's for sure. Uh, you see the shooting percentage a little low by his standards. Yeah. Uh, the minutes still there. You know, maybe they burned him out playing him so many minutes uh, all these years in a row. But I think I, the lad still has something left in the tank. Uh, I think that we could see a second-half surge from him. Uh, but, yeah, it might be in a different uniform. Yeah, he's only 29 years old. We're, we're not talking like he's a mid-30s kind of guy, so there's lots of life left in him, and you may be right. Maybe he would benefit from greener pastures, and maybe the events of this uh, last year and a half with uh, have worn on him a little bit in terms of what he's been asked uh, off the ice as much as on the ice. But uh, there are other storylines that that creep into the picture for our fantasy pool owners who are in season-long pools, Andrew. They're going to have to face a decision, and this is one that we want to spend, I want to spend a couple of minutes discussing with you. We're headed toward the trade deadline. We all know that. Presumably your league in the season-long formats is in the same vein facing a trade deadline. So I think in the NHL there's certainly going to be more buyers than sellers out there. I count six teams that are right out of the race in the NHL, and you have to look at your fantasy pool standings as well and try and figure things out that way as well. Are there more buyers or sellers in your pool? And you act accordingly. It sets the bottom feeders up, if there aren't many of them, to really get a ransom from some of the higher-end clubs. Yeah, and I've been looking to sell in uh, the Rotowire Staff Keeper League, and uh, I have just not been getting any kind of uh, reasonable offers. Everyone, I mean, it's it's not exactly... Uh 
big news that everyone wants to trade their crap for gold, but oh man, it's especially bad this year. It seems like. So you're tell- are you saying that there's a lot of bottom feeders in your league and you're one of them, or or yeah, I'm I'm selling. Okay, so so yeah, I'm, the get- bottom- I'm the bottomest feeder this year. Uh, it so- didn't work out. <laughs> well, I'm sure there are injuries that have factored into the situation, but you have I'm to David. Yeah. I have to think, yeah, I have to think that uh, some of the high-end clubs have to look and say, if I can't deal with uh, with one or two of the teams that are clear at the, clearly at the bottom, certainly the middle-of-the-pack teams that are still in contention aren't going to come calling. So I think your chances are looking better and better as we get closer to the deadline. People will circle back to you. So uh, if I could advise you that not that you need it from me, hang on to your, your uh, hold on to your hat and, and wait for the guys to come back and circle back. I, I think yeah, that's that what case, I've been doing. I've been staying patient with it. Yeah, and uh, I, on the other hand, on the and my staff, uh, it's another rotowire staff league, and I'm right at the top. I'm running away with things actually, and and the guys are joking around that I've kind of killed the trade deadline for them, and uh, but I still think that there's second, third, and fourth place money uh, on the table for them, and they probably will. There's a great bunch of them right in the middle of the pack, but there's only two or three teams well at the bottom, and those are teams that I think will benefit from this kind of a trade deadline, just as they would in the NHL, and. Uh, and uh, it's interesting that uh, bottom feeder teams include Toronto again, of course, but Montreal is creeping into that picture as well as some of the other clubs. And I just wonder how all of that's going to play out. I think it could be a pretty active one at the NHL level. I think it's going to be interesting. Uh, you know, you have a few teams distinctly out of it, as you say, and then but then a lot of teams that are in it. So I think uh, prices might end up being uh, high. Uh, this could be a really good year for the sellers uh, to pick up some nice prospects and picks. Exactly. And... Uh, We've we've done this from time to time during the course of the year, Andrew, where we look at the most added players out there and most dropped. Let's pick a, pick away at a few of them, uh, beginning with uh, in New York, J.T. Miller. This is a guy that you probably know a lot more about than most of our listeners, and he's kind of become a bit of a hot property of late. Yeah, you know, I tell you, I I wasn't altogether happy with the the Miller pick. I thought it was kind of a, a boring pick when the Rangers picked him in the middle of the first round in 2011. Uh, he's been gradually proving me wrong. The last two years, a lot of success in the AHL, and now he's uh, really starting to show at the NHL level, uh, especially over the last seven games. He's seen a a nice little increase in ice time. He's averaging more than 17 minutes, scoring at a point per game, actually a goal per game pace. Uh, I guess he hasn't actually picked up an assist in that span. Seven goals in seven games for JT Miller. And uh, and he's going to see a little bit run right now. Rick Nash out with a leg injury. Miller, at least at the very minimum, a nice little uh, DFS play while Nash stays out. And another guy that's at the top of the list, actually the most added guy, is in Washington. And that's a team that's uh, playing all-world hockey right now. Andrei Burakovsky has found a home on the left wing playing with uh, fellow Soviet native Evgeny Kuznetsov and Justin Williams, the honorary Russian on that line. In the last four games that Burakovsky's played in, He's got a couple of DNPs in there. He, he has six. Well, points they had those games that were uh, snowed out, uh, right? Like home games against Pittsburgh and Anaheim. So in his last four appearances, he's got six ga- six points, and uh, he's heading the list of players that that are getting a lot of attention in uh, free agent pools right now. And uh, with the competition from the likes of Jason Chimera and Brooks like on that uh, Caps left side, it looks like they're going to take a long look at Burakowski in this role. And we've been talking all year long about how dynamic Evgeny Kuznetsov has been. So this is a great situation and, and a great buying opportunity, in my estimation, uh, with Burakowski uh, getting top six minutes and maybe even a look-see on the power play, a potent second power play unit in Washington. So two really good plays off the top. 
now switching to the defense. Danny, Danny the Kaiser's a guy I've liked for a long time in the Detroit situation, and he might just be rounding into an opportunity in Detroit, a team that is once again challenging for the top rung or two in the Atlantic Division. Yeah, absolutely, and I've always been a DeKaiser guy, a longtime owner in a, a couple of fantasy leagues. Uh, we've been seeing a nice little uh, improvement from him offensively lately. It had been a little bit slow to come along this year. You know, last year was a, a small improvement to 31 points. was you know his first uh, full NHL season. He played 80 games for the first time. We're still looking for a little bit more. Even now, still looking for a little bit more. But five points in the last ten games, plus six rating, that plays in fantasy. Uh, the power play ice time is slowly starting to creep up. That's important. Uh, we'd still like to see him take a few more shots on goal, though. That's for sure. Uh, still only 45. Oh, no, sorry. I was looking at last. Yeah, yeah, no, I am looking at this year's stats. I'm just you got it. myself. Yeah. Yeah, you got it 45 right. shots in 46 games for DeKaiser this year. Yeah, and another guy on the blue line that's uh, making waves like we called this uh, uh, after the, the trading away of Seth Jones. Matthias Ekholm's stock has risen in Nashville. He's on a point-per-game pace in his last six starts, getting a little more ice time, particularly on the special teams, although he's still on uh, second or third pairing guy, depending on the rotation there. They've kind of split up Ryan Ellis and, and Ekholm to at least bring some stability to the bottom to the second and third uh, rungs in that uh, regular rotation. But on the power play, Ekholm's getting a bit of a longer look, and the additional ice time is translating to points on the bottom line. So I think it's, I think it's the Ryan Johansson factor here, Andrew, trickling down to the rest of the roster. They brought in a number one type forward, and the impact is being felt all over the place. But in uh, Ekholm's case, he's benefiting also from a spike in, in uh, ice time. Yeah, and you see with Ekholm, uh, a lot of this recent surge has been in the form of assists, which you would expect to see with uh, Johansson energizing the offense. Uh, you know, play defense behind a guy like that, all you need to do is get the puck ahead and uh, bang, bang, and it's in the net, you know? Yep, and a guy who's who made a lot of highlight reels with that bang, bang business and putting the puck in the net over across the pond, Nikolai Ehlers, is now doing it for the Winnipeg Jets on a first line where he's got paired with Mark Scheifele and Blake Wheeler, Two, uh, two other uh, offensive weapons that Winnipeg has kind of put all their eggs in one basket here on that first line. And, and Ehlers has really benefited seeing a spike in his playing time for sure. And, and uh, the productivity has certainly been there. He's even racked up a hat trick in recent play. So that's, that's a play that's gaining popularity on the free agent wire. And, and if you got a chance to snap him out, I really think this is a great situation for Ehlers going forward. Yeah, Ehlers reminds me a lot of... Uh... Uh, not a fellow Dane of his, but a man from a nearby country of Marcus Naslund. Uh, he reminds me of a lot of a young Naslund. Uh, really great uh, two-way player. He can take, you know, he can play some defense. He can pass. He can shoot. He he really has the the complete package that you look for in a winger. And uh, only 19 years old, he's going to get better and better. Uh, we've seen him now working his way into first line ice time. Nine points in the last eight. Uh, I don't. I only think uh, things are going to keep going uphill from here for Nikolai Ehlers. Yeah, and a guy that uh, sometimes you can't sleep on a guy that's getting up there in, in years, uh, even though he has a bit of a tra great track record in his career. Brian Campbell has had a bit of a so-so start offensively, but I think he's caught fire now that he's back and paired with uh, Aaron Ekblad. He's got five points in his last five games. He, too, is playing for a team that is on the, on the uptick with Florida running away, it looks like, with the Atlantic Division. Uh this is kind of like a professor and student situation with Campbell and Ekblad. There's a real comfort level that's grown with these two guys, and, and that chemistry is, is something that I can really see uh, flourishing the rest of the schedule. Even though 
Campbell is such an offensively talented player and a veteran, he's owned in less than half the leagues out there. I think this is an opportunity missed by a lot of fantasy owners. Yeah, you know, with Campbell, you have to keep in mind that sometimes uh, opportunity for fantasy purposes is more intriguing than, you know, necessarily pure talent at 36. Uh, clearly, Campbell's lost a step. He's not the guy he once was. Uh, he was never a great shooter from the blue line in the first place, always uh, more of a playmaker. Uh, but that's a, that's a, not a bad position for him to be in right now on a Florida team where he's seeing heavy power play minutes uh, and, and heavy minutes in general on that top unit with Ekblad. Uh, he should pile up a, a good number of assists, uh, certainly more than he has so far, only uh, 19 points with 15 of those assists in the first 50 games of the year. And yet another guy who has been up and down in the early stages of his career. He's only 21 years old, so I'll go from an oldster to a youngster. And that's Thomas Hurdle over in San Jose. He's looking like he did in his first go-around in the NHL of late. He's uh, hitting on a point-per-game pace in his last six or seven games, too. And he's got the plum assignment of, of playing alongside Joe Thornton and Joe Pavelski. I, I think I could get 20, 20 goals playing, <laughs> playing beside those two guys. So I really like this opportunity for... Uh, a young guy who figures to be a part, big part of the San Jose plans for the foreseeable future. And yet here again, this is a guy who's not owned in, in a ton of leagues out there, barely over 50%. And this really smacks of a great opportunity for not only this year, but a holdover situation as a guy who I think is a long-term top six guy in San Jose. Yeah, I think Hurl at this point should be uh, well on his way to getting toward universal ownership. Uh, another guy uh, trending star, you know, very much upward. Uh, as you say, uh, putting up a ton of points lately, uh, 11 points and a plus 12 in the last 11 games, uh, really fine stats from Tomas Hurdle. Uh, the, the ice time has been a little bit inconsistent. Sometimes it drops down to 14, 13 minutes, and then that's a little odd to see uh, when you look down the game log. But I think, uh, in general, the, the trend line is certainly uh, way up for Hurdle. Absolutely. And uh, one more I'll, I'll throw out at you. Jordan Stahl in Carolina, his brother is the subject of a lot of trade speculation. This guy, he played against the Leafs a, couple, a week or so ago, and he was dominant. And he's only only in 23% of the leagues out there, even after an uptick this past week. And he's playing for a, a bad Carolina team that's near the bottom of the standings. I, I think there's more in this guy's game than meets the eye. What do you say about a guy on a, who's playing well for a bottom feeder team like the Carolina Hurricanes? For fantasy purposes, I, I, I can only get on board with Stahl in deeper leagues. Uh, I know he's hot right now, uh, as you point out, a point-per-game pace over his last dozen games, dating all the way back to January 6th, so basically a month of, of red-hot play that we've seen from Jordan Stahl. But, you know, we've seen these stretches from him before, and he ends up kind of falling into, you know, this mediocrity where he's only cleared 50 points one time in his career. You know, we're talking about a guy who's been around the league uh, 10 years now. And and you know, it's kind of been more of the same every single year, about a, a half point per game. I think that's the pace he's going to fall back to. Andrew, let's take a look at some of the teams around the NHL. Uh, their fortunes are going in different directions. i got about a half dozen that I want to highlight with you. Uh, certainly we'll start, start with the Pittsburgh Penguins. I see this team taking a real turn for the better in the last latter part of the season, largely because they finally have some stability in their top two scoring lines, and I think they're going to be buyers at the deadline to shore up a, a blue line that certainly needs a little bit of help. I agree, and that's a scary landing spot for Dustin Bufflin, isn't it? Can you imagine oh him on that power play with yep. uh, Crosby and Malkin and Kessel? That's a murderer's row, if I ever heard one. Uh, assuming they can gel, of course, that, as we've seen, uh, can be an issue. Uh, Crosby is a great player, but it takes him time to form chemistry, uh, just like everyone else. 
Yeah, and and you wonder, uh, you mention or imply on the fact that uh, that Crosby's been around for a while, Malkin's been around for a while, the core of this team has been around for a while. Their window of opportunity may not be that long. And so, you know, certainly these guys are all around the 30-year-old mark, but you wonder how many times they're going to get a real opportunity. With Montreal falling by the wayside, I think that the uh, Eastern Conference is a little more wide open. Uh, the Rangers haven't dominated, although you'll, I'll give you plenty of time to talk about them in a bit. <laughs> but uh, I think I sense a real opportunity for a team like Pittsburgh to take a real run at things this year. And uh, I, picking up on your suggestion about Bufflin, I think there's a real opportunity here for the Penguins to make a bit of a big splash at the trade deadline, and that's a team that I'll be watching very closely to see what they do because I think if they shore up that blue line, they will be one scary team. Yeah, and uh, although Malkin, after an uncharacteristically healthy season to this point, has finally reached the injured portion of the campaign, uh, ruled out for the next two games with a lower body injury as the Penguins finish off their road trip, uh, he'll be then be reevaluated re after they get back to Pittsburgh. You know so. what? He's carried them for much of the season while Crosby's trying to find his game. Absolutely. So, uh, Especially he, lately, Malkin has been red hot. Uh, yeah. Injury could not come at a worse time, 10 points in the last seven games. Exactly. And uh, speaking about a guy who came back from injury, the, the whole province of Alberta, Canada, is on fire because Connor McDavid came back. You'd think that this guy would take it easy in his first game <laughs> and play around the fringes. No, he doesn't. He gets three points, first star. And, and runs away with uh, a beautiful breakaway goal where he deked a couple of players out of their shorts uh, before depositing it into a bacon net and really offering up a lot of hope in that one appearance for the rest of the season. Uh, could the Oilers take off the rest of the way? or And, and what is McDavid sealing the rest of this year? I think those are questions that uh, will leave a lot of intrigue around the Edmonton Oilers going forward and certainly elevate the profile of some of their players on the top two lines there. Yeah, I think I look at this in a kind of, uh, you know, you saw Alex Ovechkin, Sidney Crosby, like these guys as rookies, they had huge seasons, but they didn't necessarily elevate the entire franchise in that first year. And I think that's what we're seeing and what we're going to keep seeing down the stretch in Edmonton is that this is a team with flaws that Connor McDavid can't cover up by himself. Uh, they're still going to lose games, uh, you know, quite a lot of games, I think. Uh, they're still going to finish as, I think, one of the, you know, three or four worst teams in the league. Yeah, I agree that that's a very likely possibility, given the fact that even in the first 13 games that he started the season, the team was only 5-8. and eight. So before everybody starts to run out and, and look for playoff tickets in the Edmonton Oilers' near future, reality check is in order. This guy is certainly worth the price of admission every night the rest of the season, but he's not going to lift these guys from a bottom feeder kind of existence the rest of the year. The future looks bright for this team. Certainly this guy can rally these, these troops and uh, elevate the play of some of the guys around him, but I don't think the future is now just yet in Edmonton. So uh, hang on to your hats there. This is going to be a bumpy ride in Edmonton. <laughs> and uh, no bumpier ride around the NHL right now. Boy, these are so some beautiful segues today, uh, Andrew. Uh, the Montreal Canadiens, and I'm loving this, are continuing to flounder. They, <laughs> they, have, they have equaled uh, the, high, the high point of their season with a, an extended stretch of low point where now they're exactly a 500 team, and they showed a highlight on one of the broadcasts last night of Carey Price skating around the rink, and he looked like a 70-year-old man <laughs> negotiating the ice. And to me, he just doesn't look like he's anywhere close to coming back. And I wonder if there are some of the tall foreheads in Montreal are starting to think, should we shut this guy down the rest of the season? Uh, well, 
here's the thing. Montreal's only five points out of a playoff spot. You know, they've been falling off, but there's you know, there's a lot of parity around the league. You look at even even the going back to the Oilers, they're only eight points out of a playoff spot. It's not out of the realm of possibility for you know thirty games left in the season. Uh, and at the same time, too, we look at Montreal, of course, as we know, they've been by far the worst team in the league since price went down again. But these things tend to balance out, right? It, just like they were not as good as they were when they were 9-0, they're not as good as they are when they're 1-8-1 their last 10 games. Uh, we're going to see a little bit of a better Montreal team. I think we're going to see them come a little bit back toward the middle. Uh, the flaws have clearly been exposed, but I don't think it's time to talk about shutting down Carey Price. Uh, if he can, you know, he might be limping around right now, but you know, two or three weeks from now, uh, he could be good to go. They could still be within striking distance of a playoff spot. I don't think that you can just give up on the season if you're the uh, Montreal Canadiens. Yeah, I was talking with a friend of mine who was a scribe with the Habs uh, in the Habs uh, reporters scheme of things and covers the team very closely, and he said, you know, everybody's talking about Carey Price being on the lineup, but the fact of the matter is this team's scoring just a shade under two goals a game over the last. 25 games, whereas they were almost three a game, or just over three a game to start the season. So you're quite right to say that the offense is not as good as it was at the start of the season, not as bad as it's playing right now, and you have to think that uh, a shake-up uh, of the lines that has taken place, I, I think it's been a long overdue that they put Dayarnay back with Bacioretti. That's a duo that scored very well and worked very well in the past, and only not recently has Dayarnay been moved back to that top line and they've got to get more out of Alex Galchenyuk, and hopefully playing with a responsible guy like Blakanitz is going to help him. But they need more from the top six, and they also need more from P.K. Subban, who is nowhere near the level of play that he was in the past. And Andre Markov is a shadow of his former self. To me, they need a huge upgrade on the blue line. Uh, Markov's been hearing uh, regular serenades from the, the Habs faithful booing him, which is uh, kind of a, a tough pill for hat fans, real hat fans to take because this guy's been a signature player there for a long time. So there is some good, there is some bad. There's not, they're not as bad as they are playing right now. So it'll be interesting to see if they take a run at things. But a cautionary note, Andrew, last night after the game, head coach says it's going to be very tough for our team to make the playoffs. Oh, man. And that that's, that's a telling statement. It sure is. But at least with Subban, uh, you know, he getting some flack uh people really uh the name brand uh, is losing some luster but he's on a point per game pace over the last 15 uh he hasn't been the problem even though i think that he is affected clearly we see he's still sitting on only four goals this year uh you know he's never had to deal with playing with a, uh, a version of markov uh who wasn't you know uh Fading with age. Fading you know, uh, with Markov has, has missed some time in Subban's career, no, don't get me wrong. But especially these last few years, these guys have been uh, peanut butter and jelly on that blue line for the, the Canadians. Yeah. And, uh, and you know, when, when you see that kind of slump, it's definitely going to affect the other one as well. Yeah, you got you got to see if there's a turnaround. It better happen soon. But, uh, boy, it's interesting to see how diametrically opposite they are for now from that big start that they had. It's just incredible. And a team that uh, has kind of pushed aside some of the off-ice headlines to reel off nine wins in ten games has kind of become a big factor in the Eastern Conference race against, the again, the Tampa Lightning are looking to me like they've committed to the rest of the season 
with a bit of a status quo situation. They're not going to worry about the Stan Coast or Drouin scenarios and make them front-page news. They're rather going to, I think they're going to play this thing out and keep these these guys right where they are. Drouin on the sidelines and Stan Coast on the front line uh, put, putting in his usual offensive uh, contribution. Yeah, you know, sometimes you just have to block out the noise and go out there and play the games. And, uh, you know, it's easy for us to to be sitting here and... You know, we see what everything the media is saying, and you know, we've got our own uh, opinions and biases about the whole thing. But when you're, you know, when you're running a team, you have to be able to block that out. You have to be able to compartmentalize and and you know, see that well. You know, we got to the Stanley Cup Finals last year with pretty much the same team. Uh, that that counts for something, and and I think that the Iserman has been smart to let that ride out and and see what happens, and we're seeing the payoff now from it. Yeah, and, and the only thing that I, I'm a little bit still mystified by is the front line uh, distribution. Uh, they've got Stankos on the right wing. They've got Nemesnikov at center ice. He's contributed zero offense in the last four games. I wonder how long that experiment's going to last. And maybe a guy like Valteria Filpola moves up into that role uh, to take the front, uh, front line minutes with Stammer. Uh, or maybe they move Stankos back in the middle. But uh, I think uh, he's being quiet. The team's being quiet. I think it's it's led to good results on the ice or been a factor, and uh, they're smart to play it out like this, I think. Uh, even if they have to say goodbye to him at the end of the season, it would be nice for him to leave with a Stanley Cup ring potentially. So that's that's what they're banking on, and maybe that's the best-case scenario. Uh, window opportunity in St. Louis, Andrew. This is a note that I put down. I think I'm, I'm wondering about this team. They, for years, have been one. They were one of the first four-line teams that I really took note of in the NHL in recent years, but... They really haven't gone as far as I think they could. And I wonder, is the window of opportunity closing on this team? What do you expect from them uh, the rest of the way? And uh, do they make a big splash at the trade deadline? I think this is a team that has uh, a lot of long-term appeal still. Uh, you know, you've got guys like uh, Jaden Schwartz uh, coming back soon. Uh, not coming back today, but he could be back this weekend or you know, maybe next week. Uh, that's going to make a huge difference for this team. You know, they're a playoff team, even without Schwartz, for almost all of the season. I think he's one of the best young players in the NHL. So this is a team that's already good getting back a guy who I think is not necessarily uh, far short of his impact, you know, on the roster from uh, uh, Connor McDavid, if you will. So, uh, you know, I like these Blues. Uh, I think they have a young goalie. He's injured, uh, and Jake Allen, he's going to be coming back in a little while. He's skating now. He's probably a couple of weeks away. This is a team that that has a, a lengthy window. Uh, you know, Vladimir Tarasenko, you know, even Alex Steen isn't very old. Paul Stastny is, is is starting to get up there, but still isn't very old. They they've really got a nice window, I think. I I, I guess most of my focus was on the defense when I was looking at uh, in those terms, Andrew. To be very honest, Jay Bowmeister, Alex Pietrangelo, these guys are not as Im- impactful offensively as they were in the past. Kevin Shattenkirk's been a subject of a lot of trade rumors, actually, which is surprising to me. Uh, must be contract-related situation. They've got a real discovery in Connor uh, Colton Pareko, who's been a fabulous performer for them on the blue line. I think that's where I'm, I'm really most concerned about the window of opportunity here because I see a decline in some of their higher-end blue liners, and they really never uh, – they haven't got the max out of Jake Allen yet that I'd like to get out of him. Brian Elliott's kind of a placeholder for me, and uh, Jake Allen needs to return fully healthy and in top form to give this team the, the trajectory that I think that, that they should be shooting for uh, in a very competitive Western Conference. 
Yeah, well, he, he certainly was in top form before suffering that injury. But yeah, there's they're another team that definitely could use some trade deadline help on the blue line. Another candidate for uh, Dustin Bufflin, who's the theme of this show. Uh, <laughs> well, the, and, the mascot maybe for for today. And and you got to be uh, tickled by the possibility that he might wind up with the New York Rangers. We got to talk a little bit about what's happening with the Rangers. We haven't spoken about the Broadway Blue Shirts for a while. But uh, to me, they're newsworthy because of the people that are out of their lineup right now as much as the people that are in there. Rick Nash out, Kevin Klein out on the blue line. There's an opportunity for a guy like Big, Big Buff to join this team that would plug one or both of those holes. I don't expect either of uh, Rick Nash to be a long-term absence, but uh, could you fill us in on the Ranger slant and uh, the impact of these two hurts right now? Absolutely, yeah. As, as we talked about earlier, the absence of Nash has been uh, gold for J.T. Miller, getting seeing more playing time, uh, especially over these last few games, than he has been. Uh, you know, his, his time has been a little bit inconsistent. As for Klein, his injury is going to let Dylan McElrath slot into the lineup. McElrath, uh, as you may know, uh, another draft pick I wasn't terribly happy with uh, by the Rangers uh, back then. Uh, 10th overall in 2010, they picked this guy who, listen... He's a tough guy. He's huge, six foot five, two twenty. Uh, you know, he's is a, a presence in front of the net. But when you talk about a number ten overall pick, I want a guy who can put up some points from the blue line, and, and Makarath is not that. But he will add some toughness to the lineup. Uh, if you need someone to fight someone, he'll do that. If you need uh, to crunch someone into the boards, he can do that one too. <laughs> But uh, but yeah, the, I I don't think it's gonna kill the Rangers. Uh, you know, the last year they lost Klein toward the end of the regular season and didn't have him uh, for you know a lot of the playoff run, and and it, it it did maybe make the playoff run a little bit harder than it had to be. But uh, you know they have you know you look up and down their blue line. There's no slackers among that crew, and there haven't been for a long time, Andrew. And uh, why don't we give our listeners a chance to get the uh, usual ad that we we promote at this time. Where can they find our work and the work of other RotoWire experts? Yes, as you may be familiar, this is the RotoWire.com slash pod segment of the show, where we tell you to visit RotoWire.com slash pod, sign up for a free 10-day subscription to RotoWire, read our articles, read our fantasy sports news and analysis for any sport you can think of. Really, any think of anyone. And uh, I think we might even talk about cricket sometimes. Seriously, I'm not kidding. There's a cricket section. <laughs> That's how how thorough uh, we are at RotoWire. Uh, James Faulkner knocked over two for 60 off 10 overs Tuesday. And if you liked cricket, that might be very exciting to you. <laughs> RotoWire.com slash pod. Paul? Excellent. And we're into uh, the fun part of the show as we wind it up. Andrew, I'll take the stud of the week, but I defer to you on a very interesting rant of the week. We'll begin with the stud of the week. I, I choose none other than Sid, Sidney Crosby. In a week where the next one came back into the fold in Edmonton, the kid has been on fire in Pittsburgh with 18 points in his last 12 games. We heard a lot of loud commentary that maybe he's on the downside of his career. Maybe he's suffered too many injuries concussions and this and that, and are we seeing the end of the line? Is he not going to be a contender for top scorer in the league? He is the top scorer in the league the last 12 games. He's finally settled in with veteran line mates. He saw a revolving door of wingers audition for the role, as you implied earlier in the show. Now he's got these two vets in place, and the scoring totals are 
pumping out like uh, like a fine wine from a, from a vineyard. So it's it's beautiful to see uh, that this guy is playing as we expect. One of the best players in the game is looking like it once again. Absolutely. Uh, and I have nothing to add. Sidney Crosby, Sidney Crosby again. There it is. Yeah, uh, we knew that it was going to that it was going to come back. I was not on board with those who were saying that he was washed up. He's not a first round value anymore. You're joking, right? Yeah. Can you imagine anybody that that jumped off that bandwagon in fantasy in a season long league and dumped him early on? We had a columnist. I, I won't name names. Uh, we had a columnist on RotoWire who jumped off that bandwagon and said that, said just those things about about Crosby. I I, I disagreed, uh, but I, I let him publish it, and uh, I'll let him take the flack for it. There you go, and uh, I want to give you a chance now to dish out some flack, Andrew. Uh, a rant with a journalistic uh, edge to it, and the floor is yours, my friend. Now, I haven't uh, gotten to do a rant of the week yet, but uh, I've, I've got some issues here today. And uh, So Seth Rohrbaugh writes about the Penguins for the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette, a uh, very reasonably, perfectly fine uh, you know, beat writer, no issues with him uh, up until last night when he puts a tweet with a screenshot of a RotoWire player update uh, that went to CBS. CBS, uh, as, you, as you listeners may know, syndicates our updates. Uh, it's about Brandon Prust. Uh, he was sent down, or not sent down. He cleared waivers, and the uh, the Vancouver Province beat writer uh, said uh, something about like uh, Utica, here we come, something like that. Uh, so our the the guy who wrote our the little player note about Brandon Prust then said that he's cleared waivers and been sent down to AHL Utica, where actually he hadn't been sent down yet. But obviously it's it's happening, right? It's going to happen. Yeah. So Rorabaugh turns this into this lengthy uh, multi-tweet rant, uh, talking about how we have a story, quote unquote, on him being assigned to Utica. Listen. A player note, which we write hundreds of per sport every day, is not a story. It's not original reporting. We're a, a wire service. We're not expected to, to be going around with uh, you know, beat writers like Seth Rorabaugh for every single team in every single professional league. What are we, multi-billionaires <laughs> to, to be hiring uh, so many people uh, so, that, so that the world can have original reporting? about Brandon Prost clearing waivers and being assigned to the AHL. You know, I understand there's a lot, a lot of ways that you can criticize the state of journalism today. This is not one of them. Rotowire is not performing journalism. We're offering fantasy sports news, which we're getting from actual journalists, and analysis, which we then provide on our own. So don't make us into the picture of the failures of, of journalism or sports journalism. That's all I have to say about that. Beautifully done. I, I applaud you for making the point and certainly positioning us and what we do in a brighter light so people understand what uh, the whole role of, of ours is in the fantasy sports space, which is one that's growing by leaps and bounds. And I think it's a fine way to end another episode of The Great Ones, Rotowire's hockey podcast. For Andrew Fiorentino, I'm Paul Bruno, thanking you for giving us a listen and inviting you to come back to catch the next episode of our show next week. So long, everybody. This is the story of Harry's. 
For decades, one big razor company has relentlessly increased prices and reaped immense profits at the expense of its customers. Then one day, an ordinary guy got ripped off buying razors. He was so fed up that he and his best friend started a company to fix shaving. They called it Harry's. By taking less profit and selling online, Harry's can offer quality blades for less. You can even get Harry's 5-blade razor and shave gel for free when you sign up. Just cover shipping. Click or go to harrys.com and enter code RAZOR at checkout. That's RAZOR, R-A-Z-O-R.